From Harold Washington to Harold's Chicken and everything in between and beyond, Sociology is the exploration of Chicago culture, history, legends, stories, and fiction through a myriad of discussions with Chicagoans themselves. What's up, everybody? It's Twiz Taylor back again with another episode of Sociology. This is episode 62. Now, we're in Bronzeville on King Drive. If you go to 345 East East Gate Place, you're going to see a bronze statue. That statue was created by Allison Sars and installed in 1996, and it represents the Great Migration or the Great Northern Drive, as Robert Abbott, the founder and publisher of the Chicago Defender, called it. It was during this period where millions of Black Americans and formerly enslaved Blacks came from the South to Northern cities such as Chicago. Now, if you look at the statue very closely and pay attention, it's very creative because everything was done intentionally. The suitcase represents the hope and dreams that all of these travelers had in these new cities. If you look at the suit, the suit has souls on it, which represents the truths of these travelers on this journey. The hand is held up to civilized salutations and welcoming in the new cities such as Chicago, and the statue is intentionally facing north to represent the northern drive, the journey. Now, if you ask 10 out of 10 Chicagoans where their ancestors or their grandparents are from, they're going to tell you Mississippi or some type of southern state. For example, my grandma is from Indianola, Mississippi. That's in Sunflower County, Mississippi, within the Mississippi Delta. I asked a couple Chicagoans this very question, and this is what they had to say. Uh, my name is Brittany. I'm from the east side of Chicago, currently residing in Chicago Ridge. And uh, my maternal grandparents are from uh, Chicago. My grandmother is from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised. And my grandfather is from Wetumpka, Alabama, and they still reside there today. And my paternal grandparents are from Gould, Arkansas. My grandfather is from Arkansas, and my grandmother is from Chicago. Uh, her mother is from St. Louis, and her father is from Tennessee. And then on my mother's side, my great-grandparents, they were both orphans. Um, in Chicago, but I think my great grandmother is from somewhere in New Orleans. Um, I can't trace their lineage their lineage back too far, <laughs> as far as that goes. But yeah, that's all. What's up, y'all? My name is Tony Richardson II, born and raised in rural Illinois. But yes, due to the Great Migration, all four of my grandparents are from the South, and I will be giving y'all culturally correct ways to pronounce these states. Started with my mother's side. My grandmother was born in Myrtle, Mississippi, which is about an hour and 15 minutes southeast of Memphis. My grandfather was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which is about 45 minutes southeast from Memphis. For my father's side, my grandfather was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and my grandmother was born in Tallulah, Louisiana. So my grandparents are from Mississippi and Louisiana. Thank you so much for y'all time. Hi, my name is Brandy. I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. On my mom's side, my grandmother was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi. My grandfather was born in Oklahoma, Mississippi. On my dad's side, my grandfather was born in Birmingham, Alabama. And my grandmother, she was born in Macomb, Mississippi. Hey, what's going on? My name is Victor Johnson. I live in Calumet City, Illinois. My maternal grandparents are from Bessemer, Alabama, and Generette, Louisiana. My paternal grandparents are from Mississippi. I don't know too much about my paternal grandparents, but I do know that my grandfather, who was born in Bessemer, Alabama, on my maternal side, was raised in Chicago, whereas my grandmother, who was raised in Generette, Louisiana, was came and relocated to Chicago when she was young. 
Hey y'all, my name is Njema. Um, I'm from Markham, Illinois, uh, you know, South Suburbs, you know. Uh, but my grandparents, uh, my granddaddy is from Arkansas and my grandma is from Coffeeville, Mississippi, which you know, country as hell. And it is, like, it was only like three families that lived down there. All her family, the family some of her brothers um, married into and then one other family. Uh, and then when they came up here, both of them ended up on the west side of Chicago, K-Town specifically. Hey, what's going on? My name is Vonzel Scott, currently living on the south side of Chicago in the West Fuller Rosa neighborhood. And my grandparents are from McLemoresville, Tennessee, which I know nobody ever heard of. I didn't even know where it was before I knew where, where they were from. But one thing I know is that it's only like one famous person that ever came out of McLemoresville, Tennessee. And I believe that's Dixie Carter from Designing Women from like back in the 80s TV show. And a saying that my grandmother used to always say when she used to walk around the house all the time, Mclemoresville 10, three stores in the cotton gin, ain't seen a train in God knows when. Now, that's some, some real history for you right there. So Mclemoresville, Tennessee is where my grandparents are from. So as you can see, the effects of the Great Migration are long and lasting. On this episode, I talked with historian Brian Hayes. Brian Hayes is a brilliant historian. He built his family tree up to about 60,000, 70,000 names. That's not an exaggeration. That's a fact. Brian Hayes is going to give us the pros and the cons of the Great Migration, the nuances, the complexities of it, because it wasn't always black and white. So I hope this episode inspires you and pay attention because he has a lot to offer and a lot to say. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So, yeah, let's get into it. You know, the Great Migration, you know, everybody mm -hmm. knows what it is. Um... You lived in Chicago your entire life, correct? Give or take. Born and raised here. Born and raised. Right. Here. Born, yeah, yeah. Born and raised here. Born, and the, yeah. Born. The time. The time I was away from Chicago was during my my years in the um, United States Marine Corps yeah. and my undergraduate and graduate time at, in Macomb at Western yeah. Illinois University. Correct. So, um, so with that being said, like, can you like let's just get into detail about the Great Migration and tell the listeners, the viewers. Obviously, you know, they know what it is, but like, tell us about the different phases of the Great Migration. What was the reasons for it? And how did, specifically, how did so many of these people from Mississippi, Louisiana, end up in Chicago? Okay. You know, like, they ended up all over the place, but like, Chicago was like a huge destination. So like, let's get into that, you know, um, step by step. Okay. So you actually, you had several factors. Um, you had the the racial violence in the South, yeah. the lack of opportunities, mm -hmm. the bow evil, which was a bug that actually killed the cotton crop. You had a, I'm trying to remember the name of, I know what it was, but I'm trying to remember the name. It was like an exclusion act that um, at this time, World War I was taking place. And so the United States government prevented people from Germany, I want to say Italy, certain European countries, they prevented them from immigrating to the United States. Okay. And then as people, as uh, when the United States went into the war in 1917, there was a shortage of male employees and a lot of, a lot of um, urban factories. Uh -huh. And so you know, they needed to, you know, they needed to fill those spots. Yeah. And so black people, well, black men were our available labor force, as well as 
the role of Robert Abbott, who was the publisher of the Chicago Defender, mm-hmm. who um, the um, what, what, what were their names? The, um, come on, Brian. The men who were on the train. The Pullman Porters. The Pullman Porters. Pullman Porters, they were um, they would take copies of the Defender on their routes down south. And, you know, they would they would provide black people with the newspapers. But the funny thing was black people could get killed for having a defender. Yeah, yeah. Because I heard about that. Yeah, because um, yeah, white people treated black people like shit, but they also didn't want them to leave. So you had you had situations like in my family where they own they own their own land, like in southeast Mississippi, they own their own land and so on and so forth. But in the um the Mississippi Delta area, mm-hmm. a lot of people were sharecroppers. And so with sharecropping, allegedly you would perform work for the person who owned the land. They will provide you a form of credit in the form of the resources that you needed, the tools, the seeds, and so on and so forth. Shelter. But people never seem to be able to get ahead in their accounts. And so the, the landowner would be like, oh, well, you know, this year's crop, it didn't turn out like we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully next year will be better. And so it was a form of slavery without the legalized version of it. They had to get, people had to get permission to leave, that sort of thing. And so you would have families escaping in the middle of the night Mm. or not, you know, not telling anybody that they were leaving. Mm. And so the um, Illinois Central Railroad played a, a huge part in people leaving from Mississippi and arriving in Chicago. And so a lot of the ultimate destination of people from the South to the North really depended upon which state they lived in. Got it. So a lot of people from like um, Alabama, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, those people uh, wound up on the East Coast, like Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, Boston. And so it's funny that you mentioned you mentioned it early, but most black people in Chicago, their families are from Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My grandmother, uh, as you know, because you assisted me with that, is uh from uh Sunflower County, Mississippi. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of her siblings stayed down there. So it's like a whole branch of family members that I've never even met, never even knew wow. of. Um, and they're still down there. You know, a lot of my friends' uh, grandparents came from Mississippi, mm-hmm. you know, um, as, as well as Louisiana also. Louisiana is like another another uh, destination that I hear about a lot, what destination, origin that I hear about a lot. Louisiana, okay. Mississippi, yeah. Um, right, I mean, we got, we got people, you know, who wound up in Chicago from Arkansas and, you know, some of, some of those other, Tennessee. Yeah. But you actually had several migrations. You had you had mentioned that earlier, and so the first one I will speak of is the one that began right before World War One. Okay, and you know you would have people that would you know 
go to Chicago. They would like it. You know, they they would communicate with family members that if there are opportunities here. Mm-hmm. And some some might come and stay. Some might come and go back. Like I have one branch of my family. It was it was funny. Like a couple of years ago, I had connected with my cousin Sam Gage. Okay. And Sam, Sam just turned 80. So Sam had an older first cousin named Charlie Gage. Charlie's also my cousin. And Charlie remembered their grandfather. Sam had never met him, but Charlie remembered him. And so they had come to Chicago from a community in Wayne County, Mississippi called Buckatana, which is, I got a whole lot of family down there. And Charlie said that their grandfather used to cut his hair, but he didn't like the cold weather in Chicago. So he moved back down South. He moved, he moved to Mobile and he, yeah, he died down there in 1944. And so, you know, a variety of reasons, you know, why people came. But um, one of the terms that historians use are push and pull factors, different things that were going on that pull people here, as well as things going on down there that pushed people out. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, okay, so we still are the first migration right now. Right. Interesting because, you know, like you said, a lot of uh, uh, Black ancestors, you know, they was taking this leap of faith to come north for better opportunities and to escape the uh, racial violence, the lynching, you know, that was going on, only to come to the north and still face racism just in a different form. Uh, yeah, um, we actually have a term for that. Mm-hmm. In the South, we had de jure segregation. De jure meaning that um, the segregation and uh, the second class statuses of Black people was actually legalized. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the North, it was what we call de facto. So when I was growing up, there was a community called Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. You do not to go to Bridgeport being a black person, even though there was no law that said that you couldn't. Yeah. And so uh, something that you mentioned, like whenever people talk about, you know, the work that I've done, you know, whether good or bad, I always have to give thanks to my cousin Marjorie. Cousin Marjorie is my grandmother's first cousin. She was the oldest. She was the oldest of the first cousins. Mm-hmm. And she actually did a family tree for us back in 1997 at our 25th anniversary family reunion and so when I started on mine when I was when I was thinking about it I was actually sitting poolside in the French Quarter at a family reunion with a drink okay my cousin Barbara and I told her I was like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the family I'm gonna start working on the family tree because I had met some cousins I had never heard of yeah you know and they were fairly close relatives but I had never met them and so when I told cousin Marjorie that I was going to work on it and she was like why (laughs) (laughs) and uh and I explained my reason why she was like okay she said well you nosy enough and I think I made a face she said she said baby I meant it in a good way (laughs) and she's like if you need any help you know just call me and so (laughs) um she laid the foundation and then I just kind of I just kind of started digging. 
And so I can honestly say that, you know, even with my background in history and so on and so forth, I never would have been able to do what I was able to do without her information. Yeah. And so it gave, it gave me a place to start. And she and I actually talked about the, uh, the pros and the cons of migration. And she said that, you know, whereby it did offer economic opportunities to Black people, they also lost their kids to the streets. Mm. So let's say the, the lure of activities in Chicago, you know, drugs, gangs, all, all the things that we call urban ills didn't exist in, in these rural environments. Like the, the town where my grandmother and cousin Marjorie came from, at one time, my family owned the entire town. Wow. And what town is this? It's called Battles, Mississippi. Battles, Mississippi, okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's just, it, it's, it's amazing to me to be able to look at documentation and see it and, yeah. and see these family members, you know, living next to each other on these family homesteads. Yeah. And I went down there in April for spring break because my cousin Reggie, he was telling me about this app that they had found that showed who owned what property. And so I put like, um, we still have land down there that's on my, my great grandfather's. And so I put it, I put the name in and it showed me the part, it showed me exactly where it was. I knew the general area and I was like, wow. And then I was able to see other relatives who owned, you know, who owned land nearby. Mm -hmm. I saw some of my cousins who had a whole lot of land, mm -hmm. you know, there. And then I saw the names of, you know, there were some unfamiliar names. And so I looked them up and they were like, okay, they don't look like us. So some of these people had purchased land from our family members or they swindled people out of the land or, or, or what have you. But, you know, one of the, one of the things I've been trying to able to, you know, communicate to my family is like, damn, you know, we own the whole, we own the whole town and you look at a place like Chicago where, you know, people are paying ridiculous amounts of money to rent or to own. And, you know, you look to your left, you look to your right. There's another family right there. You can't even breathe. And when I, when I, when I, um, when I went to look at the property, my cousin Brenda, I was at her house and I was explaining it to her. And so she said, I'm going to show you where that is. And so we would we would drive in and she had this memory. She said, uh, she said, I wonder if Wallace Chapel is still there. And I'm like, Wallace Chapel. She said, Yeah, it was a church we used to go to when we were kids. And so as we're approaching, she told me to stop. She said, pull over. And she said, they go Wallace Chapel right there. And I'm like, where? And she was like, move your head. And I moved my head and I saw a building mm -hmm. in the woods. So the woods had, you know, the woods had grown up, grown over everything. But I'm looking at that and she said, okay, we're going to get back in the car. And she was like, and I'm going to show you where you're, you know, where the land is. And so she's looking. And by the time we stopped, it was about three city blocks. Mm. 
that was all our land. Wow. And then there was a there was a um a road that like you know like a little dirt road that went to the back and she told me to take the back to the back road but there was a guy coming out he looked at me and I looked at him and she was like yeah we going in there and she was like ain't you such and such and he was like yes ma'am because down there everybody's yes ma'am and yes sir so she said yeah that's my cousin Brian and his family owned the land and we taking him back there and he was like okay so he moved we went back there then he came back about 10 minutes later because he had went and picked his kids up from school. Turns out he's one of my cousins. <laughs> yeah. Because he was like, he's like, you Brian Hayes from Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, I'm your cousin such and such. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, you know, looking at it, it's like all these other people that live over there are family members. But once upon a time, all of that was part of a family homestead yeah. on cousin Marjorie's father's side. Mm. so she's related to me her mother and my great-grandfather are brother and sister but this land they have bought was on her father's side mm -hmm. so her father's had a, her father had a brother who was married to one of my cousins and i don't know the particulars they wound up splitting up something that she did with a preacher mm -hmm. but the land that they have like his second wife was these people's grandmother. Got it. Who was actually her first husband was another one of my cousins. Family tree is complex. Yeah, it's complex. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it's it's a good thing, and you know, understanding or you know, finding out what it was that the people did to get this land and being able to hold on to it. Yeah. So. You have family members arguing about land, like, you know, like they didn't put in work for it mm -hmm. and not understanding that a lot of these people had the homestead land and with, you know, with the homestead act, the government gave you five years to make improvements on the land. And if they determined that you didn't, you wouldn't get the land. So basically you had a lot of people working five years for free for free yeah and and um a lot of people that migrated I, I assume were families that didn't have these opportunities or these you know uh homes well, actually well actually they, they do well they you had no it 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 was kind of like a luck out of draw so like with my family members who wound up owning land i want to say that they were cash poor so okay. more than likely they homesteaded it and then unfortunately a lot of the records are not online and so for me to be able to confirm that information that i would have to go to the, i would have to go to the national archives in okay. in um washington dc oh yeah mm -hmm. and then so like you know you talk about how your family had this entire city battles mississippi right well, a town, a town, 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 town. Like, yeah. yeah, like less than you know, less than one thousand people. Right, right. But nonetheless, right. that's still huge. You know, uh, that's still huge. You yeah. Know, so, so if your entire family owns a town, the likelihood of you getting in trouble is very low, right? But you come to Chicago, like you said, people was losing their family to the streets, losing their kids to the streets. You know, um, because of all of the the nightclubs, you know, the brothels, you know, what I'm saying things like that. So it's kind of like a culture shock. When well, you could up here. you could still get in trouble down there. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, my brother keeps telling me I need to write a book 
And I'm like, no, nah. but then uh, situations like this bring to mind like all the different things that I've learned from, you know, family members who've been generous enough to share the information. Yeah. So you had juke joints. That's correct. Where, you know, things could jump off generally over women. Yeah. yeah. So I've, you know, I've had cousins. Most deep is. Yeah, I've had yeah, I've had cousins who, you know, were were killed or killed people, mm. you know, in juke joints. Then you had the situations where uh racial encounters with white people. Which was you big. know, we've we've had that. Yeah. You know, I I learned about a story um on my my father, see, my father's mother's mother's mother, father. So my great 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 grandfather. Mm -hmm. As I was researching, I found I learned that he was a teacher. That you know that freaked me out. I'm like, what? Like 15 years after slavery, he's a teacher, and they lived in Alabama and they moved to this community called Buckatuna, and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I didn't find out until like within the last year why he moved to Buckatone. So yeah. I got a lot of family in Maywood. Okay. That I was able to connect with through research and DNA testing. And they've been having family reunions since at least the 90s. And so they had a document, like so their family is descended from a lady named Tempe Newton Robinson, who is my great 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 grandfather's sister okay they had information that said that he killed a white man mm. over his daughter and he went to canada and i'm like well if wakatana is canada he made it so in tempe's family july 4th 1930 uh one of her grandsons got into a what a white guy you know, got to be a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. They wound up sh uh, shooting one of her sons to death on his front porch, lynched her grandson the next day, and basically put a hit out on the whole, the whole Robinson family. So all of them booked up and left. You know, they wound up in Cahoma County, Mississippi, LaFleur County, Mississippi, Humphreys County, Mississippi. Some ultimately wound up in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is the home of the uh, NBA Hall of Fame. Well, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. And some wound up in Portland, Maywood. I mean, just, and they, they lost their land. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. They, you know, lost their land. And so um, they knew they had information about what had happened to my great 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 grandfather that my family didn't know mm. and so when i look at the family research it's like this huge puzzle that people have different pieces to yeah yeah and so i'm i'm, I'm certainly not responsible for all of the information but you can kind of call me the crypt keeper yeah yeah you know it come it come to me i get it and i i don't forget it because you know it, it's too important and this research has made me really, really cognizant of things like Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, I got this information. And yeah, somebody asked me a question, I can readily recall it. But 
what happens if I'm unable to provide that information or what happens if I go out tonight and get hit by a drunk driver, you know, who's going to have that information and more so who care, you know, who actually cares about the information. Yeah. yeah. So at this stage of my life, I actually spend more time communicating with family members who I wasn't aware of their existence before 2010 than those family members who I've known my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, I had a journey from 1968 to 2010 and I came to a crossroads and I went down a road and nobody came with me. I met other people on this road. Yeah. So yeah. we're all following the same path together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. And that's how it is. Like when you unlock these family trees and you start digging deeper into it. And that's why, you know, the great migration is so important because, you know, you just never know the stories of these families. You know, you, you know, like you say, it could be many reasons why they love. You know, um, it could be many things that happened when they got here. You know, like you say, you got family in Maywood and you from Woodlawn. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah, cross, I mean, that's cross Cook County. You know, uh, well, I mean that's I mean that's crazy. Like, um, because I when I look at my family, I got my mother's family and my father's family. And so when I started doing the research, it was on my father's family. That's the one I knew. Gotcha. But as I started researching my grandmother's family, like a couple of years after that, my mother's father's mother. Mm -hmm. her family arrived in chicago from vicksburg mississippi in 1901 1901 yeah her grandmother died in 1902 in chicago my great-grandmother her father was white okay so i don't know if it was a consensual sort of situation or yeah you know yeah. but they you know they they came they came to chicago that's so that's my earliest branch of my family that was in chicago my both my parents were born here my 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 mother's father he was born here mm -hmm. my mother's mother was born in pulaski illinois i want to say she came to chicago around 1943 1944 with her mother Got and it. her sister. Her, her mother was already living here. Her mother was from Pulaski. Her mom sent for her and her sister. Okay. My my father's my father's mother, the one from Battles, they came to Chicago in 1944. They, and was that they, the was that the last uh that was the third phase of Great Migration, correct? Well, I mean it 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 I, I look at it like when you like when people think of history they want to do these timelines well you know from here to here well i would say it was a on it was an ongoing thing you had more you had these major incidents like you had world war one where okay now it's a labor shortage and you know they trying to get people to come up then you have you know you had world war two where they needed people working in defense in the, in the defense industry so um you had a lot of black people like from Louisiana, Texas, they went to California. Even some, even I even had some family members from Mississippi that went to California. Mm -hmm. But you know, still in all, uh, a lot of it was about economic opportunity. I mean, in spite of the violence, unfortunately, the violence was something that 
they were accustomed to. It's kind of like we live in we live in communities in Chicago, and you know, they can be good or bad. What makes a community good or bad are the people who live in it. Yeah. And something happens, we see it. You know, we know it was Rollo and Love Man because we saw them, and we don't say anything. And you know, people are like, well, you know, snitches get stitches or whatever. It's like, well, if we don't take care of our community, who will? Mm-hmm. But then when you had these situations down south and you had this violence that was being committed by black, I mean, white people against black people, nothing happened. Uh, black people did it to each other. They, the law didn't really care. You know, so we just, we have this survival mechanism that American society has just, you know, really forced us to adapt. And so I'm just very proud of the fact that all these Black people, you know, these descendants of people who were kidnapped and enslaved are continuing to survive and thrive in this country that never wanted us yeah never wanted. after you know after after our um after the end of our free labor they they had no need for us yeah none at all and as and as a parent you know with the you know that's why they tried their best to kill us off you know that's why they you know, don't give us the rights that we deserve, you know, and yeah. all of that. Um, yeah, it's very apparent. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you ask a Black person where your people from, they're going to say somewhere down South, but you ask a white person where they're from, they're going to say, oh, Italy or, or Ireland or Germany. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, this is our, you know, I, I hate to say our origin because we didn't originate in these states, but, you know, this is what we know, you know, I right. mean, you can still do those ancestry tests that, you know, you can get deep and become blessed to trace your lineage to, you know, an African country, a Caribbean country, um, you know, but for majority of us, Mississippi, the buck stops in Mississippi, yeah. Alabama, Florida, yeah. Georgia, you know. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get to take the tour of Ellis Island. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, absolutely. Yeah. Came through the, uh, the slave harbors you know yeah yeah and charleston you know mobile mm-hmm. washington washington dc new orleans had one too yeah yeah you know they had them up they had them up and down the eastern seaboard like mm-hmm. uh you know some i was mentioning some of our kids a couple of months ago like regarding the american revolution you know at that time most people living in america lived within 50 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. Whatever whatever colony they were in, they lived, yeah. you know, near, because, you know, you, you still had the Native mm-hmm. Americans, you know, holding it down. Yeah. Yeah. But you were uh, with, you know, with the migration, so you had Black people who would come to Chicago and you know, most of them will find themselves in the Black Belt mm-hmm. that we we now know as Bronzeville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 
the residential opportunities were limited. The employment opportunities were limited. Yeah. The educational opportunities were limited. Yeah. So you had Phillips High School. Then you had Dunbar High School. Dunbar was the third one. Okay. And so, you know, people, black people in that area, they, they went to those schools. You know, um, I know Latrice's, Latrice's stepdad, Mr. White, he was in the first class at Harlan High School. Mm. At that time, like, they went to Harlan because they wouldn't let them go to Morgan Park. <laughs> and I mean, you, yeah, yeah, Morgan you, Park was all white at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah Morgan yeah. Park, CBS, no. I believe, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, they was all white. Well, I know, yeah, you know, so Thornton was all know, white. You could go these, to the birds, you know, out at Harvey. Yeah, was all white. yeah, you hear these, you hear these stories, and you know, um, what I would call the contemporary people, they, they would hear this stuff and they wouldn't believe it. Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. We didn't live here. And so, you know, black people being, you know, confined to these certain areas and there was always a housing shortage. You know, they they couldn't buy because they couldn't, they couldn't buy anywhere. You couldn't get finance in front of banks because banks wouldn't give black people mortgages. Mm-hmm. And so you had these landlords that would divide up these apartment buildings or these houses that they own called the kitchenette. So you basically paying for one room, everybody sharing a bathroom. I try to get people to show, there's a scene early in um, the 1961 movie, A Raisin in the Sun, where Travis and Walter Lee are running into the hallway to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Because building and sharing that bathroom so the the black people in the first wave of the migration they you know they lived in the black belt and you know we would like to think of it like a paradise you know all these black people well i would say listen to what quincy jones had to say about growing up in mm-hmm. chicago mm-hmm. did you ever see an interview with him no, I didn't see that interview uh, that you're speaking of. Yeah, different, you know, different interviews that he's given about growing up in Chicago and the gang stuff that you had to deal with. But I'm familiar like, with the, I'm familiar with the thoughts he had. Yeah, <laughs> with the thoughts yeah, he had, though. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, the you know, the inability of black people to move out of these black communities with you know this black community. The, in, the inability to purchase property outside of these communities. You had, you know, you had overcrowding. And as other migrations, the later migrations came, the, a lot of those people wound up on the West side. Mm. And so you also had these conflicts, black people in Chicago, the ones who had, been, you know, who had been here, like, yeah. and black people who were coming up from Mississippi, you know, they treated them like country bammers. Mm-hmm. They don't know this. They don't know that. You know, they doing such and such on the sidewalk. And I mean, and we, you, you know, we still had that in the black community where we, you know, we look, we look at other people like. Mm. 
yeah. But you know, they were all they were all really in the same situation. That's a different year. Yeah, you know, so but you know, um, you know, the the people on the west side, you know, dealing with well the south side too, the um the restrictive covenants that you know communities had that all the neighbors had to agree to that prevented black you know prevented the property from being sold to a black person do you know what the first restrictive covenant was created i do not i want to say university of chicago but i could be wrong yeah high park yep okay oh so i did know so, yeah. yeah 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 so the the process for banks denying loans for mortgages mm -hmm. for black people that was that was that was a um, ruling rulings or documentation that came from the federal government mm -hmm. so the federal government has had a you know they've had a hand in all this the redlining policy that was something that came from the federal government mm -hmm. if a black if a community had one black family it was considered a red line so white flight you know yeah yeah i mean so you had suburbs that were created you know with people being able to move because of the gi bill mm -hmm. you know daddy fought italy or daddy fought in the pacific well my granddaddy fought too mm -hmm. but black mm -hmm. you know black men had a real hard time getting the gi bill yeah and then mm -hmm. even if they did get it a bank wouldn't give them a mortgage because the government said that nah you can't get no black person a mortgage mm -hmm. so you know you the you know you still fighting this stuff like i said the the red line the uh yeah nothing has the, changed for the year yeah nothing the restrictive and then you know where you had the block busting where you had these white these white property owners who you know saw an opportunity to make money because the housing shortage you know they were scared these they were scared these white people by hiring black like a black man to drive through the neighborhood or a black woman to be pushing a stroller with a baby and then calling the people's house saying well did you see that and these people losing money on their houses and then the property owners tripling their profit because they were selling to the black people on contract. And you know, you got very shrewd tactics. Very shrewd tactics. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and yeah. you know, it's like, you know, we know racism and capitalism go hand in hand. You know, they uh -huh. they're you know, they're conjoined twins, you know. So it's right. like you see all of these black Americans coming up off the trades into this big city. Chicago's already a big city, but now you see all these black folks coming up here, and you got a lot of white people that was angry about it. You got a lot of people that was angry about it, but they didn't show it. They just was like, you know what? This is an opportunity to make some money, you know? And it's just yeah, like- They wouldn't even, yeah, they wouldn't even let black people join unions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it goes back you know, to like- so in a, You know, in an urban, urban environment, particularly if you work in, if you work in a field like a skilled, a skilled craft or a skilled trade, unions. So- you can't get a job because you black or you're not in the union, but the union won't let you in because you black. And 
they, you know, they try to act like a lot of this stuff didn't happen and like this stuff going on like yesterday, Roe versus Wade absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll put that aside for a minute. Like something will happen, it's like, well, it's a dark moment in our history. Well, I shit, our history always been dark here. So mm-hmm. y'all speaking about you all, like I said, we're constantly overcoming struggles and barriers, you know, you know, being thrown in our way. And it's just something I want our young people to understand that just because it's not illegal to date somebody who don't look like you don't mean that the society approves of it. I'm I'm looking at with Roe versus Wade, I'm like, okay, same-sex marriage is definitely coming next. Hmm. Interracial marriage, I can definitely see that on the table. Even though the person who said these changes need to be made is Clarence. Man, <laughs> I was about yeah. to say it. I was about You're to say right. it. Like, yeah. like, you want to talk about hypocrisy at its finest. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. That man is stuck in a, uh, he's stuck in a twilight zone for real. Delusional. Yeah. You know, delusional. But, you know, big like time. They say, all your skin folk. Clarence skin Coon folk Thomas. Folk. I would say his name. You know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> yeah, because I'm independent. Yeah. I ain't got to worry about nobody uh, taking me off there. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. But you make a good point. Interracial yeah. interracial marriage, right? Uh, same sex marriage. You know, mm-hmm. um, black women's bodies being regulated. We've been enduring this yeah. for so long. You know, I yeah, but have yeah, it. but it's like, but see, it's an issue now because it's it's not just happening to minority women. Yeah, correct. You know who. Right. They've had, you know, they've advanced medicine by experimenting on these women. And, you know, now you had a situation where, oh my God, if I get pregnant, yeah, if your if your daddy rape you and you get pregnant, you gotta have a baby. Stop. Stop. You know? Yeah, but this this is this is the real America. Yeah, the real America. So yep. yeah, um, yeah. So you know, the the Great Migration definitely had its pros and cons, as all things do. Um, and like we said earlier, Chicago was a huge destination for it. Uh, and I'm sure you ask any Black Chicagoan where they grandparents from, they gonna say somewhere down south. You know, very rarely. Are they gonna say, oh, they're from here? Or well, like you say, even even Southern Illinois, you know, because there's a lot of black folks from Southern Illinois too, you know. Yeah, like I said, my my grandfather Pulaski, uh, right? I mentioned I, right. I mentioned I mentioned my mother's mother was from Pulaski. My father's father's from Cairo. And that's like the southern city. The last it, right, it's the last they call that area Little Egypt. Little Egypt. <laughs> and so that's the last town in Illinois before you leave out across the Mississippi and go to Missouri. Mm -hmm. And so my grandfather's family, we were growing up, he used to tell us that his grandfather fought in the Civil War. We thought he was lying Mm -hmm. until I found out it was true. Mm. That his his mother, his mother's mother, my great great grandmother was my great great grandfather's third wife so when he died sometime around 1904 
his previous wife sued my great-great-grandmother for his Civil War pension. Mm. His father was somewhere, in, he was born somewhere in Tennessee in the early 1860s during the Civil War. My thinking is that he and his family were brought to Cairo to do work for the Union Army mm -hmm. because, you know, Tennessee was a Confederate state. Correct. But Grant captured Tennessee. Oh, so he took it over. I didn't know they that. Took it, they took it over. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons that in the 1864 election, Abraham Lincoln selected Andrew Johnson as his vice presidential candidate, as his vice presidential running mate, because he was a Republican, but he was he was a he was a slave owner, racist. But now that they kind of got Tennessee in a fold, he you know he selected him. Hmm. And uh, Andrew Johnson was like one of many worst things that could happen to free black Americans at that time after, you know, the war and after Abe Lincoln died, because he basically undid everything Abe Lincoln and uh, Sherman took up, well, took up so I, Sherman tried to do. Well, well, you know, Lincoln overruled Sherman. Oh, when really? Sherman was part of the 40 acres on the mule, Lincoln overruled him. Mm. And, so, we, and we know Lincoln ain't what we was taught in school. We know that, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, so right. we know, so, yeah. you know, I, yeah, so you know, people talk about the emancipation proclamations. Okay, you're freeing slaves on land that you don't own. I mean, you don't have no control over. Yet it wasn't enforced in those areas that were controlled by the union, like Kentucky mm. and Delaware, that still had slavery. So hypocrisy. Yeah, it runs. Yeah, deep. but. What it what it kind of did, it just kind of laid the the framework for mm -hmm. black troops to be able to fight. So I haven't done any research on this. I'm I'm sure we'll probably support it. Without the without the black troops, the North loses. Mm. I've heard that before. I've heard that they, before. They lose. And yeah. so I remember in grad school, I wanted to do this uh you know, in grad school, you have to do a research project for each class. And so I wanted to do a research project on the continuation of American slavery after 1865. And so when you have a, before you do your research, you have to do a proposal for your professor. And my professor rejected it. He was like, no, slavery was, slavery was going to die a natural death. And Sure. I, you know, tremendous. I mean, tremendous, you know, tremendous amount of respect for this professor. But I think it depends on one's perspective. That. You have people. Going to war to keep slavery, even people who did not own slaves, even people who didn't have a chance in hell to own a slave as well as people looking at Caribbean islands, looking at Mexico, looking at Central America and invading these places to establish a foothold in slavery. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know, died natural death. I mean, we talked about sharecropping earlier, which is why many of these families left the South to come to uh, places like Chicago, Detroit. We had sharecropping, you had the convict lease system. You know, all of these are different variations of slavery, even though it's not chattel slavery as we knew it um, when we first came here in the 1600s. It was still slavery. You feel me? Because you couldn't go nowhere. You was literally under the control of the state or whoever right. owned the land at the time, you know. Um, right. So that natural death, uh, yeah, in what world? Because not in this one. You know, must be another right. you know, multiverse um, universe, you know, nah, not here. And it's still going on. Right. So with Mississippi, I didn't have any family members from the Delta area. Okay. I had family members who moved to the Delta. And in, uh, in the 30s and the 40s, um, my cousin, he passed away a couple of years ago, my cousin, Kurt, he was telling me about, he, he and my cousin, May Rose, their first cousins. So I actually have to call her today. She's 92. She called me the other day and left a message. And I didn't know. I had posted something on Facebook yesterday and her niece tagged me and she's like, she said, did you talk to Aunt May? And I was like, no, about what? And she was like, she called you. Mm. I was like, I'm like, I ain't talked to her. I'm like, you know what? Let me check my voicemail. And I checked. I'm like, you know what? She did. She did call me. So I'm going to call her back. But I'm sitting with them. We're at a, you know, we're at a family reunion picnic. And I was asking them about their grandfather. And so another one of these weird situations. So their grandfather and their grandfather and my father's mother's father's mother are first cousins but their grandmother is the aunt of my great great grandfather <laughs> so so they like double related they double related and I know that he had died in 1936 and I was asking them, you know, did they remember him? And so she remembered him. She said that, you know, they used to go to his house and he would take them to the store and, you know, he would ask her if she wanted anything and she would always get cloth. And I was like, cloth? And she was like, yeah, I take cloth from my mom to make outfits. You know, she could make dresses for me and my sister and pants for my brothers. And then Kurt, Kurt was like two years older than her. He said, no, I met him once. Mm-hmm. I said, you met him once? He was like, yeah. He said, because we he said, because we we left battles and we moved to the Delta to share crop. Mm-hmm. He said, well, mama, you know, mama got a letter from him and he was asking her to take over the land when he passed away. He said, so we went to see him. He's like, that's the only time I met him. He said, when we, he passed away, he was like, you know, we wound up going back. And I was like, well, you know, I'm like, your mother still had a brother living there. He was like, yeah, but granddaddy didn't trust him. Mm-hmm. And then he was talking about when he said when his grandfather, when his father died in 1965, they moved his mother to Chicago and they sold their land. Because this is the land they had got from the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I said, how much was it? He said, 320 acres. I almost died. What? That's three, two, zero. Wow. 
three, two, zero. So I've, you know, I've I've walked on land that family members own. You can get lost. I mean, you can literally walk and walk and walk, and it's still a property. Wow. You know, but here, wow, you cross the you straw you cross the street, you're in another gang territory. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be careful. It, it, it's crazy. You could go from old block to Sukerville real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he was telling me how. He was like, you know, just kind of going down the road. He was like, it was all family members that, you know, they own this land. It's just, you know, it's it's amazing to me. But I also know that, you know, that town wasn't unique from a standpoint of you had a lot of Black people who created Black towns after slavery because of their relationship or the lack thereof with the people who at once own them. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort, you know. So they, uh, yeah, yeah. And they, you know, they weren't, they wasn't looking to be with these people. They didn't want to be with these people, he said. Our ancestors didn't want to be around the same people that mistreated them, the same people that enslaved them. And understand, a lot of families still remained in the South during Reconstruction, during, you know, the early 20th century. And it wasn't because they were afraid to come North. It was just, it was always situational. And it was always came down to what was best for the family in that time. Some families thought coming to the North, such as Chicago or Detroit, was best. Some families thought staying down there was best too. It all varied and it wasn't no right or wrong answer. So I hope this episode inspired you. I hope it encouraged you to get to piece together your family tree and to get that knowledge from your ancestors, your grandparents while they're still around because trust me and believe me, this is information that is beyond valuable and you do not want to let it get away. Learn your family history, get to know it while you can right now. If you enjoyed this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on right now, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc., leave a five-star review and a comment. Let us know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to our sister podcast, Mogul Motivation, from True Stories Media. 